Mountains. Sides of them. Do they belong to anyone? In Sam Gribley's case, the answer is yes. Witness a 12-year-old boy surviving in the woods like he's Bear grills on steroids. Will anything stop him from living his dream of self-sufficiency in the woods, away from the crush of city living? Will he even have minor difficulties as he lives in the hardest way possible for humans to live? Probably not, because he has read books, and that makes him a superior being. This week, we're talking about My Side of the Mountain on Reliterated, the podcast that won awards before we even came up with a name. Welcome to Reliterated, the lowbrow book club of three grown-ass men reading the children's books popular in the 1990s, but with 2020's hindsight. Fair warning, we use language too mature for kids, analysis too immature for literary scholars, and ignorance too profound to be inoffensive to everyone. You can interact with us and enjoy all kinds of bonus content by searching Reliterated on Twitter, Instagram, Reddit, YouTube, and Facebook. Or you can ask us questions, suggest future episodes, or tell us what we've missed by sending us an email at reliterated at gmail.com. I'm Andy, and with me as always are... Harold. And Josh. And this week's episode is going to be about that styling, profiling, limousine riding, kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, son of a gun, the nature boy. (laughs) Sam Gribbley. Woo! We're doing My Side of the Mountain by Gene Craighead George, published in 1959. So, let's see. This is the second oldest book that we've done at this point then the first one being uh charlotte's web this has been around for a while uh this book uh, got a newberry honor and then ms george did wind up getting a newberry medal for a, a different book later on in her career she wrote over 100 books so i mean that's quite the writing career especially considering it wasn't in the modern times here but Jean Craighead George is very much a naturalist. Almost everything she wrote was had something to do about animals, nature, uh, surviving in nature, surviving with animals in nature, animals in nature, nature animals. She did it all. Yeah. She even wrote two cookbooks using wild foods. So. Ooh, I can dig that. This uh, My Side of the Mountain kind of felt like one of them. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> All the way through it, he was constantly coming up with recipes for people. Yeah, this seemed a lot like a journal, almost more than a story, per se. There's definitely a story in there, but it's more like, a, this is what I was doing at this time, and now I'm doing this, mm-hmm. and it's it's more of a tale of what was going on rather than, you know, the the typical story story. Right. Uh, I liked in the preface how she explains that she, as a child, wanted to do exactly what Sam Gribbley does in this story, but she didn't have the guts to do it. So this story is kind of her telling of what she thinks it would have been like had she actually run away and tried to become a person that was living survival style out in the woods. Did you guys read this when you were younger? I did. Fifth grade. I remember clearly reading it in fifth grade. And I I did really like it then. I liked it this time, too. It's a good book. It's just... I never read it. No? Were you in the same school with me in fifth grade, or did you move 
at that point? I was on to my second school at that point, second or third school at that point. So no, I had been gone. All right, because I don't remember ever reading this one. Yeah, I was definitely in that age group. Uh, I think it was either fourth or fifth grade that I read it. And I literally grew up in, in the woods. Like we, our, our house was in the woods. So my brother and I would actually go out and go camping overnight out in the woods just to, you know, try to be like Sam Gribbley, try to live out on our own. Obviously, the house was, you know, 300 yards away, but <laughs> we were out in the woods camping and doing it all on our own. Obviously, we still had a bathroom to go to. Oh, yeah, if we needed to. But, we're you know, we're dudes out in the woods. We can just pee on Now that I say that, I don't know if this book ever mentioned any use of, like, like any uh, detailing what he does with his waist. As good as Sam Grilly was at surviving, I just imagine that he's so perfect he doesn't have any waist. Yes, he I mean, utilizes yeah, I mean, everything. Anybody, <laughs> yeah. anybody who can live as self-sufficiently as Sam Gribbley just naturally produces no waste. So. Right. I mean, this, this kid <laughs> was amazing in his ability to survive right off the bat. Like, Especially immediately. like 12 years old. Right. Yeah, leaves, leaves New York and just he's read a bunch of books. And he's able to do this. I'm sorry. Uh, I've I've watched I've watched enough <laughs> Naked and Afraid and Alone to know that that's usually not how it works. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It is pure fantasy. Like he doesn't need to go to the bathroom. There are no predators out there. He d- has no run-ins with bears or wolves or uh, like cougars or whatever. Are those up in the Catskills though? I would imagine there's predatory animals in the Catskills. Um, you know, my thing is he didn't have any YouTube. And as we all know, if you don't have YouTube, you can't do shit anymore. Right. And that means that everybody prior to when YouTube existed was incapable of doing anything. They just had to uh, sublimate that knowledge down from their ancestors via their genetics. Right. <laughs> <laughs> like, like the animals. Well, it looks like uh, coyotes, bobcats, uh, the fisher. Black bears, hmm. snakes. Ooh, they yep. have feral hogs up there, too. Yeah, no snakes either. Copperhead, yeah. timber rattlesnake. That's what they have up there, apparently. Upstate New yeah. York. Yeah, and uh, Sam runs into none of these deadly animals. Nope, nor does he, like, you know, trip, fall, twist his ankle, slice his hand open with a right. knife. I mean, it, I'm in my 30s, and I've recently accidentally cut my finger open with a knife in the last you know, like five years you know <laughs> actually i was trying to make a uh, homemade bow when i did it <laughs> that's way better than mine i got a uh, I cut myself because i was trying to separate two frozen beef patties so i could eat them <laughs> and i sliced my knuckle pretty good so <laughs> if you tried to run away from home and live out on your own, be self-sufficient, you would be doomed. Oh, we, yeah, we've discussed. I would not yeah. do well. I would not age. do well either. There are too many creature comforts that I have been grown up accustomed to. Dear Journal, I've been out here for three days. I opened my backpack and was remiss to see that my frozen beef patties are all bad. <laughs> <laughs> in fact they aren't frozen at all anymore oh uh, good times <laughs> so yeah my side of the mountain like i had no idea what this book was going to be about i heard that uh you know it was 
a favorite of, a, of this or that friend uh, from growing up or whatever. Um, in my mind, I thought that there was going to be more uh, conflict because the words my side of the mountain would indicate that somebody else had the other side of the mountain. And maybe there was like a, a line drawn and he was in a struggle to survive or he was in some sort of competition with somebody else, or there was actually some danger <laughs> to uh, like present in here, but I guess I'm just used to be there being more conflict in the stories I, I take in. Yeah. This one definitely doesn't have any conflict really. I mean, there's a minor conflict with a falcon. Uh, right. As he's uh, going up to steal the egg that uh, would hatch into his companion. Frightful. Yep. And then he just tries to avoid people that are trying to or that might find him and turn him into the authorities because he the one thing he doesn't want is to be sent back home. Right. This is more boy versus society than man versus nature. For sure. Yeah, because the nature almost it, it nurtures him more so than it gives him any challenge. He got nurtured by nature. Yeah, because he, he, he was sick <laughs> of being in this little apartment with all those people, which I get it. I would not want to be in an apartment with all those people either. What was it eight siblings? Yeah, something like eight siblings, a mom and a dad. <laughs> so, and I, I know what how big a New York apartment is. I've seen them, so it can't be that big. <laughs> And so, yeah, I would see, I could see wanting to leave, but it seems like <laughs> his, his parents, parents just let him, let him, do him it. go. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, you can do it. Go have fun. <laughs> One less mouth to feed. <laughs> right. Well, they, they let him do it to the sense that he said he was going to run away and his dad's like, bullshit, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. He'll, you'll be back tomorrow yep. or he'll be ne- back next week and then next month. And right. Then, oh, yeah. He, he seriously did it. Which I I don't know like <laughs> if if my son were to say I'm running away I'll be like okay yeah and then I count to like thirty seconds after he gets out the door and expect him to come back but if he doesn't come back like within a, a minute or so I'm like looking out the window see if he's still around or right like <laughs> like is he gonna come back yet was I wrong was he actually gonna try to do it oh shit maybe I should go chase him down. Like, I would not have faith in a 12-year-old boy to uh, actually make it out there to leave my sight and uh, survive on his own. Is his parents crazy? That was the anxiety that I had all through the book. I was thinking, like, you know, if he falls and, like, hits his head or if he gets caught somewhere, there's no one around to help him. If he breaks a leg, if he gets a large laceration, I mean... The reality is, is that at all times he is on the verge of possible death if everything wasn't just working out for him. Right. The only real needs that he uh, he worries about are hunger and temperature. Right. And getting caught. And getting caught. Yep. And even right. there, being found. Yeah. Every item of food that he finds, he never screws it up. He never grabs the wrong mushroom. He never grabs the wrong... It makes me think of, have you ever uh, read or seen the movie Into the Wild? I've heard of it. I've just not seen it. Okay, it's about a a guy, an adult, who runs away from home and he he studied naturalist books and he, you know, basically Sam Gribbley only in his 20s, okay? 
And he goes out and he does a lot of living out on the land. And throughout the story, it kind of tries to sell it as him being like, wow, he's really good at this. But if you pay attention, you can see that he just kind of gets lucky a bunch of times until he doesn't. And he's up in Alaska and he he sees a plant up there and he thinks that this plant is a different plant and he eats a bunch of it. Well, it turns out that that plant basically poisoned him and it started like sapping his nutrients from him. So no matter what he ate, he couldn't gain more nutrients and he was having diarrhea and sick. And then he also had not considered that when he walked into the area where he was living, that he crossed a frozen river. But when he went to when he went to leave, it was running water and it was like five feet deep in rushing water so he got stuck there and he died <laughs> you know what i mean because <laughs> that's more likely <laughs> it is so easy to fuck something up if you have One no thing. idea what you're doing yeah i mean this kid has read a bunch of stuff but he's 12 and now he's got to recall it from memory and uh put it to practice he does struggle a little bit with uh making a fire early on so he can't cook the fish that he expertly knows how to make a uh, a fishing hook out of a little twig right already that that one always threw me i was like every time i've tried to make a little fish hook with a twig or something small like that it never works and i i probably carved at least 30 of those things trying to get it to work and every <laughs> single time i fished with it it would break like the fish would chomp it and done right <laughs> sam is a 12 year old whittling master yeah yeah and i mean that hook the way it's designed it it doesn't seem like it would work i would think you'd be better off to make a hook without trying to tie two pieces together like find a, a nice piece of hardwood and actually whittle a hook without actually having to have it broken at one point. Because, I mean, just the fact that it's the it, this picture, we could maybe put it up on the subreddit, but it shows two little tiny sticks and they're like tied together with string. Whereas if you just got a big enough branch, you could whittle out an actual hook and not have to have that weak point of the separate where it's tied together. Yeah, I don't know how that thing worked, but it worked very good. He caught like four <laughs> fish like right off the bat, too. Yeah. Fantasy Again, fiction. I I watch a lot of those shows. Nobody catches fish that fast. Nobody. Right. And this is with like bait that they have. Right. He just throws a hook in the water and they bite. Are you serious? Nah, 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 nah. I don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> now that shelter he makes that first night, though. Or he doesn't actually finish the shelter the first night, uh, but he makes a shelter at some point to get himself started. And it actually is a shelter I've seen made on one of those survival shows. And it was one of the warmer shelters that people made. So there's that. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a branchy lean to. Yes. But it doesn't. It, it just again, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like him catching the fish. He says he says, oh, well, the thing is, people don't know where to fish. You got to fish in the the deeper water where it's a little bit more still, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, yeah, so does every person that fishes more than, <laughs> you know, if you grab a fishing pole and just walk out in the water without it knowing anything. Sure. But most people that are going out to fish know the spots where it's most likely you're probably going to catch fish. And they still don't catch fish, not as quickly as this kid did. <laughs> right. I did think it was kind of clever that the first time he used like a grub as bait 
and then he caught he managed to catch one fish and then from there he used uh fish uh organs as further bait oh yeah for sure to catch more fish so it's kind of a neat little, little life hack for <laughs> survival hey man fish will eat just about anything you throw it in the water at them even their own kind says so in the book now, he does run into a couple people. He runs into a guy, and that's on the first night when he can't start the fire, right? He runs into the guy with the house, and that guy teaches him how to make a fire, how to actually get a fire started with flint and steel. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he tells him, he's like, see you later, come back tonight. The back door will be open when you want a roof over your head, and he never goes back there. But that guy totally lets a 12-year-old boy walk out into the woods, too. All these adults are just like, see you the fuck later, 12-year-old boy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't need to know your story. You say you're going to make it. I believe you. Yep. And a lot of the stuff he does, I mean, that's true. Like, he just decides to do something and he can do it. Yep. He's like Superman or Batman, where they suddenly gain a skill that they need for this <laughs> oppor- this moment. <laughs> Not even the training montage in between. Nope. He meets a librarian named Miss Turner, and she helps him locate where the Gribbly farm is, where his grandfather's farm land is, because there is some land that is in his family. So he's not just going out to live on public land or anything. However, no one has lived there in so long that, you know, anybody that goes hiking, they wouldn't know whether or not they're on someone's property. Yeah. And the house that used to be there is completely gone down to the foundation. Which I would think that that foundation would have quite a few rocks, bricks, stuff like that, that he could have used. And they don't really mention him using a lot of that. He he finds the the place, but it's like, oh, it's disintegrated. It looks as though Thanos has snapped. And <laughs> every piece of the building has blown <laughs> off into the wind. He does search it's, for iron pieces, though. Like just He does find, but... Yeah, some stuff he, he needs. The iron he finds is an old axle from a car or a, or a wagon or something. Like, it's not even like he finds iron re-rod somewhere or something you know i mean this book did and when i was a kid and i know josh you've talked about it when i was a kid and i read this book i i definitely had where i lived when i read this book was howell michigan okay and we lived on 20 acres of woods so it was a perfect time to read this book because i remember going out and playing in the woods like you're saying in considering whether or not we would live out there, you know, or I could live out there, this and that. And it actually makes me think of, and this is why I have a hard time believing the Sam Gribbley thing, because he went far away from home to live out in the woods with no access to everything that people have, right? One night we had some friends over and there were like four or five of us. And we decided that we were going to go stay the night out in the woods behind my house, the 20 acres of woods. So we go all the way out there and we get ourselves all set up in this area, get our tents set up and everything. And then it got to be dark and we went to go back out there and we had our flashlights and we get all the way out to where we were going. And there was, I don't know what it was. It wasn't like there was an obnoxious amount of it, but there were like drops of blood in a couple of spots on some of the (laughs) plastic bags that we had taken out there. 
Hmm. And I mean, immediately, the four of us or whatever, however many of it was, we turned around and we ran out of the woods. (laughs) (laughs) We got all the way back and we were telling my stepdad about it. And he's like, whatever. So they went out there and they got our tents and everything and brought them back. And they said they didn't find anything like that. Well, I don't know. There were four of us and we all saw it. So, but yeah, (laughs) that's the last time I ever went out in the woods like that at night. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you were just about as old as Sam Gribbley is. Yeah, yeah, 12, 13. Right. And uh, yet here he is killing his food and skinning animals and using fish guts as bait. And it's dark at night in the woods. It's not mm-hmm. It's not dark like walking around even in an open field. It's dark in the woods. <laughs> it is pitch black. There is no yeah, moonlight yeah. because of the canopy. It's it's dark. Right. It feels oppressive. The The darkness swallows you. It is insane. Right. Because even with your rods and cones, if it's pure black, that don't help you very much. No. And human beings are not top of the food chain when we're alone in the woods. You know? Oh, no. I do like the way they introduced each, chap- at each chapter in this book. Like, this, this one is, in which I find many useful plants. So it's like... He is writing a journal, mm-hmm. and this this part of the journal is in which I find many useful plants. And he kind of starts everything like that. But, I mean, there he – all through this is he's identifying plants from pictures or descriptions in books – and boom, 100% every time, nailing it. <laughs> nailing it. <laughs> Just from memory. He must have a photographic memory because he does not have those books with him. Nope, he doesn't. At least we're not led to believe he has them. He didn't bring much at all with him. I mean, you'd think if he had the books, he would have made at some point. Because he's writing on birch bark. Mm-hmm. He does after uh, getting himself a little bit established. He does decide to hole up in a tree and the idea he has is this tree is like six foot from one side to the other and so what he wants to do is dig it out and he starts to dig it out and then he remembers an old way that native americans would clear out uh canoes and it they would start a fire and that would burn some of the wood and then they could chip the wood out easier because it would be ash or uh, charcoal type at that point. Right, yeah. And so he uses this method to to hollow out a tree that he can use as his home, which I always thought was one of the coolest things about this book is like he lives in a tree that he hollowed out like that. Right. It's got to be a pretty uh, pretty thick tree. What kind of tree do they say it was? I think it's an elm wood, isn't it? A hemlock, I believe. Hemlock, hemlock tree. Yeah. A hemlock? Okay. Because he was scared that there wouldn't be any water around. But then he just happened to remember that hemlocks grow around springs. And oh, what does he find? A spring. Boom. He's got a spring. <laughs> and what lives in that spring? Every fish in the Catskills. Like, that's where they <laughs> hang out. They don't go anywhere else. <laughs> and apparently absolutely no bacteria. Because nope. he doesn't talk about boiling it or purifying the water in oh, any yeah, way. Just drink, drink it right from the spring. I saw a man named Puma <laughs> decide to just drink water that was coming out of a mountain. He didn't last the two weeks. He went home because he got really sick <laughs> because he didn't purify his water. I think there are a lot of people that if we were to go out and talk to 10 people right now and you'd ask them, you know, like, 
would you drink that water without purifying it, right? You're going to have some of them that would be like, oh, yeah, I've got a great immune system. I could drink that water. It wouldn't bother me at all, right? And so I, I believe that there are people like Sam here. He may have boiled the water, but what do we, he didn't have an apparatus to boil it in, you know, right. until he got the turtle shell, you know. He said he found tin cans, remember? He did find tin cans. That's right. Hmm. We're looking at hemlock trees. They don't seem to get too thick at the base. I don't know. This particular tree was wide enough for him to make a house inside. Right. Yeah, it's a story. With a so. <laughs> with a bed on the inside he can stretch out on. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, again, it's a story where apparently this kid is capable of, I mean, yeah, it's a goddamn coniferous tree, too. It's not even. But he did say it was an old, old tree. So it was probably an old growth style of. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it must have been really old. Yeah, I'm I'm seeing a picture of a thousand-year-old hemlock tree, and yeah, it's really big. Okay, okay, they do get bigger, yeah. But still, he <laughs> found the one good tree in the whole forest. Mm-hmm. And I think there's multiple trees in this area where he's able to do this with, because he builds, like, a storage tree as well. Oh, no, this picture's of a redwood. Google lied to me. That's the last time I used Google. I'm going to Bing. Yeah, we should. Yeah, bing you it. should That's Bing the way it. To go. Bing it. You should have known right off the bat. I should have known. You know what this book is is lacking? What issues for three guys like us to tackle? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the saving grace of this boy leaving culture is that there's no cultural issues right. <laughs> to be found. None of them. I mean, I mean what are we what are we going to talk about? Poaching? I mean, he he uses the word Indian a couple times. Right. But it is 1960. <laughs> yeah. Right. To describe like uh, where he get he got some technique from, some useful technique to surviving in nature. Which yeah, is so not it wasn't exactly even. It, it yeah. wasn't a negative, uh, <laughs> like the the Indians are bloodthirsty savage type thing. It's like, well, there's an Indian way of doing this or cooking this that uh, that I that I used and it worked out pretty good. Yep, positive reinforcement, really. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys, I'm scared. There's nothing to tackle here. <laughs> There's nothing to tackle. What are we going to do? I mean, I know we're not great at it, but it's our thing. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. This, this book is good. It's just as you're going through, especially if you know differently now, like Josh and I both, like we've been saying, we watch a lot of the survival shows. We've watched people do the things that he talks about doing. And when I read this, I feel like if I were sitting in a room listening to Sam Gribbley tell me about the time he went out at 12 years old and did all this stuff perfectly and nothing went wrong the whole time he was out there, I'd be rolling my eyes and fucking just like, (laughs) God damn it, I don't want to talk to this guy anymore because he is a liar. (laughs) It is Wood's fantasy for sure. Yeah, when I was reading this, it, it seemed to go a lot faster than what I remember. Because, like, when I was a kid, I thought it was a good, you know, almost halfway through the book before it gets frightful. But he gets frightful right away. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, it just it seemed to go a lot faster than when I was younger. I think when I was younger, I just got into it more because I wanted to do a lot of the things that Sam was doing. It, it for sure is exciting. I mean, it made me want to go out in the woods. Reading it now. It's like, wow, that'd be cool to do that, you know? But he, the funny thing about it is, is, like we're talking here, he, every skill that he attempts 
he gets it right almost immediately. Mm-hmm. And if he gets it wrong, there was no consequence to getting it wrong. He just moves on and does it again. And the second time he does it, he gets it right. <laughs> you know, like he becomes a falconer based on books he read that he doesn't have with him to reference at any point. You know, so mm-hmm. it just his first pair of pants that he sews for himself out of deer hide fit like a dream. Like he yeah. says, he has never had a pair of pants that fit better than his first attempt at making pants out of deer leather. Yeah. And that's that's strange. <laughs> like <laughs> But at the same time, I wouldn't have known that you have to chew and beat the tar out of these these things to make them soft cuz once we get them, they're already, you know, manufactured and things like that. So the the leather mm-hmm. or Whatever you want to call it. Right, is, yeah. is he knows soft. the process of tanning leather. Yeah. Naturally yeah. tanning leather. He's 12. <laughs> I mean, Sam Gribbley could go off back to society and start a business that does all these things, these amazing things that he can do. And he could do pretty well for himself, really. Probably buy himself a cabin in the woods somewhere. He would have a TV he show. He would have a yeah, TV he could have show. have a TV show, for sure. He's not going to buy a cabin. He's going to make it with his bare hands. With his bare hands, yep. <laughs> with an axe that he made out of a stone and a large piece of stick. <laughs> right. Yeah, this this story definitely, as I'm sitting here thinking back on it, because I did enjoy reading it again, but even as I'm thinking back on the tale now and to talk about it, I'm like, yeah, this sounds like somebody that just told me a hardcore bullshit story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you want to know about my childhood? When I was a kid, I went out in the woods, and I lived there by myself. It was me and Frightful, my bird. And a weasel. <laughs> and oh man, this one time I had a party for all my woodland friends. And once you know, <laughs> they come and they just wrecked the place. They made it their own. And then I had to clean up all the next day. Oh, it was terrible. That's right. He had a Halloween party for yeah. all the animals around. Yep. Because <laughs> this book, it doesn't matter what part we're talking about. Because this book is just, again, it's just a series of things that happened to him. <laughs> so. Right. And and they're all based around the same thing. And, and honestly, from the beginning of the book to the end of the book, it's not really like there's a huge shift in his skill level. The, the one thing that his skills don't provide right off the bat are starting a fire and once he figures out how to start a fire he's golden for the rest of it yeah he could have taken matches with him for the first night and zero conflict zero right he wouldn't even had to go meet the old man (laughs) even in getting frightful like he had to crawl out on a ledge and it's like you know that that was fucking dangerous and you know he could have fallen off the side and then the the mother charged at him twice and he ended up getting frightful and getting away and he didn't slip he didn't fall he didn't have to pull himself up it wasn't like it wasn't as harrowing an experience as it could have been I mean, he's in a deerskin sh- suit out on the Catskills during hunting season. Right. Come on. That dude's going to get shot. Running around stealing yeah. deer from people after they shoot it. They shoot it, then they're tracking it, and he's running over there and throwing twigs over it and running away. Oh, and yeah. he talks shit about him. He did the same thing with Frightful, except for he didn't kill Frightful, but he stole right. it from a nest. Yep. Also, 
How old was this bird when he took it? If it was a baby, he would have had to bottle feed it. I mean, I believe it was old enough that the mother was bringing food back to it. Well, then Sam would have had to chew up the worms and put it into Frightful's mouth. It wasn't worms. I mean, he feeds it meat right off the bat. Oh, yeah. But still, I think he would have had to chew it and then spit it into Frightful's mouth. Maybe. Because according to the pictures, this this bird still has this, like fuzz on it. Right, yeah. It's a, it's a tiny little thing that would have needed its food chewed up and regurgitated in. When I woke, my eyes opened on two gray eyes and a white strubly head. Small pin feathers were sticking out of the strubly down like feathers in an Indian quiver. <laughs> there it is. The big right. blue beak curled down in a snarl and up in a smile. So it was young still. And realistically, the only thing that actually injures him throughout the book is frightful. And he should have been much more injured than he talks because he doesn't get a glove for a while. But he talks about her like landing on his shoulder, landing on his arm. Talons are sharp as razors. Because, mm. uh, again, I was into this book, so I learned about peregrine falcons and i that was one thing i remember is they have some of the sharpest claws of any raptor so yeah and even like when he's got people after him and stuff he ends up finding and meeting a couple of people as well during this uh the first person he meets is uh bando and that is because well it's not the first person he meets it's the first person he actually shows his his living situation to because he does run into an old lady that thinks that he's just playing in the woods and she makes him walk her back to town and then he kind of like pick all the strawberries yeah, pick in all the, the strawberries yeah i'm a lazy old woman yep <laughs> he's like i was gonna eat those strawberries damn it that's my food supply like he needs it <laughs> yeah go catch a fish you don't take strawberries from the nature boy <laughs> and then but he meets someone named bando and and he calls him bando because he hears a police siren coming through the woods and he's freaking out at first and then he walks through and he ends up finding a guy laying there and he assumes this guy was running away from the cops like a bandit so he calls him bando for short but it turns out he's just a guy that got lost in the woods yeah <laughs> but he also happens to be a english professor and sam loves to read the only reason he really goes back to town is to go to the library it seems mm. and so bando names him says, can I call you Thoreau? Because Thoreau is very famous for writing nature things. So Walton's Pond, that was his famous one. Yep, a naturalist, uh, poet, author, whatever. Well, and then Bando immediately knows how to make whistles out of out of wood. I think he just knew how to do that. <laughs> I don't think he just instantly knew. I think he's known for a he's while. He's an adult. Yeah, yeah, he's carried that that uh, process with him for a while. I'm Bando. I'm a wood whistler. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty forgiving of an adult know knowing a skill. Than a 12-year-old figuring shit out right away. I'm with you, but it's just kind of lucky that he ran into the guy that knows how to make wood whistles in the middle of the woods <laughs> yeah. when he has no entertainment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but Bando ends up staying with him for a little while, and they he helps him, helps him with some work around the place and then tells him that he's going to come back around Christmas. And he actually does. He does. He ends up so, coming back at Christmas. He comes back at Christmas, uh, and his dad shows up at Christmas, which I thought was yep. really interesting. And it's not even to take him home. Nope. Just to like be he's, like, wow. He's not worried. <laughs> wow, you've really done really good for yourself, son. I'm impressed. You know what's nice about you living out here? I'm not feeding you. <laughs> <laughs> 
I got eight other assholes I got to free. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I can't stop fucking your mom. <laughs> With I wish they would stuff. run away from home. Yeah. In fact, I'm going to stay here for a week, too, so yep. <laughs> I can get a break from them. <laughs> Let your mom stay home and deal with the eight kids by yourself. Yeah. And yeah, think you're... that possibly her son and her husband have now died in the woods. <laughs> right. At Christmas. At Christmas. At Christmas time, yes. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I told your mom that if I don't come back, it's because I found you and I'm staying with you for a while. Definitely not because I'm dead on the side of a mountain being eaten by a cougar. Another person that tries to find him is a park ranger. He actually hangs out at his enclosure for a while, but Sam just stays away. He's like, hmm, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> yep. I don't want to go back. So it does start uh, catching on. People are uh, people are talking about this wild boy that lives in the woods and saying that they, they've got all kinds of stories about him, how he's dressed, where he is. <clears throat> and uh, Bando keeps bringing him clippings whenever he shows back up. Apparently, the old lady leaked him to the press. At one point, he's talking about one of his recipes and he talks about Pennyroyal. He says that I dragged great bunches of this and hung them from the roof of the tree room together with the leaves of a winterberry. All these fragrant plants I also used in cooking to give a new taste not so to not to some not so good foods. So I was like, Pennyroyal? I wonder if that's a thing. So I looked at Pennyroyal. It's a traditional folk remedy and culinary herb, but is toxic to the liver and has caused some deaths. Huh. So, if he was drinking whole heaps of it, he probably would have died. <laughs> and some of the names of the stuff, the ingredients in his food or whatever, it sounds made up. Like, I've never heard of any of these before. And I'm sure they, they all exist, whatever. But the fact that he has an encyclopedic knowledge of all of the flora and the on his side of the mountain. Yeah, I, he's 12. I mean, I know that things were a little bit different. Yeah, he's 12. 12 and 13. Mm -hmm. He's 13 by the end of the book. I understand that things were different back then, but he's 12. You know, I mean, like... You see what happens when you grow up without video games, son? Yeah, yeah. You have an encyclopedic knowledge of how to live in the woods. You have more space in your brain for important knowledge, like how right. much pennyroyal to eat. Right. <laughs> before it's poison. <laughs> and what is it that he makes the salt with? Uh, it's hickory salt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He knows how to make hickory salt. He, I mean, he's just... A little bit amazing, everything that he's able to do out here. <laughs> and, I mean, he lives there for the whole winter. He stays the winter, which is no small feat. I mean, <clears throat> it, it, yeah, it's lucky that he, well, it's not lucky, but it's because he has a, a house that he's built and he has a way to keep it warm. You know, he has a fire and he has a little fireplace that he built. He used some clay to build a fireplace and he's able to put a chimney on it and get the smoke to go out. Uh, oh, he yeah, does. he yeah, almost, that, he almost yeah. carbon monoxide poisons him in Frightful. <laughs> yep, that is one thing that he almost does wrong, is he almost he almost kills them by suffocation. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably the closest to death that he ever gets yep. in this book. But he didn't feel anything, it was carbon just monoxide Frightful. Poisoning. Yeah. He, he noticed Frightful was acting funny, and I guess like he was probably getting a little sleepy or whatever, but it was definitely affecting Frightful. Mm-hmm. 
But I think it like he said it was because the fire was eating the oxygen in the room or something, and not because of the carbon monoxide poisoning. Well, that's usually what it is. It's the it's oxygen both, yeah, is, but, or, is taken yeah, by the, the fire. Yeah, the converted to... To carbon monoxide by the fire, yeah. And then he does have a little issue in the winter where he's not getting vitamins from vegetables, and so he starts, like, loving liver and the organ meat of yeah. animals. <laughs> he knows enough about, like, vitamin C... And where it can be found, and what uh, what symptoms he'd be experiencing if he had a lack of vitamin C. Well, he would get scurvy. That's well. So here's the thing with that. I it's from a show, of course, but I watched a show called "I Shouldn't Be Alive," right? And in this one particular episode, this guy had been on a boat that sank and he was in like an inflatable raft. Okay. Mm -hmm. And after a week or something of being out there, he had a big jug of water and he was taking it easy on the water and that was keeping him alive, but he hadn't had any food. And finally he had this point where the school of fish was swimming up towards the surface and his boat just happened towards it. And he was able to actually reach in and just grab a fish and he pulls the fish out. And without even thinking, he sucked its eyes out of the socket and then he like tore it open and he grabbed its liver and he started eating its liver. And he said he had never eaten that part of the fish in his life. He wasn't even thinking. He was just grabbing those parts. And he said that when he was finished with that fish, with just those parts of that fish, he tossed it down. He reached in and grabbed another one and he did the same thing again. And he was like, they were the tastiest things I've ever eaten in my life. And before that, I had never eaten them before. And it turns out that there is a point where our bodies will know what we need. And they'll be like, let's skip that fucking shit. You want the nutrients in here, (laughs) you know? (laughs) I think he even kind of mentioned it uh, in the book that he remarked of how, how remarkable it was that the body knows what it wants. Yeah. And that he gravitated towards the livers. Is that why I gravitate towards pizza and, and tacos? <laughs> well, you're not starving. <laughs> the stomach knows no, what it I wants. No, just, I, just, I just know I want tacos a lot of times. <laughs> Out in the woods, just like, Man, I need to tacos. find a taco tree. <laughs> Ooh, I hope it has a carnitas tree. Delicious. <laughs> I had a Chaco taco last night. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. No, I want to gravitate towards that. Right? Mm. I had a Chipotle barbacoa. Three tacos oh. last night. Dude, I... <laughs> so I went to, what's it called? Uh, Qdoba the first time when I was down helping Dave move. I'd never had it before. And I ate that and I was like, that's delicious. And then the second time I came uh, to record that uh, with you, Andy, <laughs> I left and I'm like, well, I'm in Saginaw. I mean, I could just stop at Qdoba. And I'm like, as I'm pounding the burrito on my way home, I'm like, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> Those burritos are messy. They are ridiculous. <laughs> I didn't mean it was going to be a problem because it's messy. I'm pretty good at not being messy, even with messy foods. It's going to be a problem because I absolutely fucking love it. <laughs> I'm, I'm like, these things are like $10 a piece, man. <laughs> Again, you've never had Chipotle, so you, you don't know. <laughs> is there a Chipotle in Saginaw or is it just the Qdoba? There's a Chipotle, too. Okay. 
I'll have to check out the Chipotle. I was going to say, I think it's on Titabawasi, isn't it? Yep, it's on Titabawasi. And I don't I'll even live in it. that state anymore, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I don't go to Saginaw very often. I haven't been out there in years. And I at the same time, <laughs> I thought that I thought Qdoba and Chipotle were a totally different thing than they are. I had no idea what they were. I just never had been there before. <laughs> hmm. I thought it was more like Cuatro Amigos, like a restaurant type thing. Mm, like I didn't a real realize Mexican place. Mm. Yeah, I didn't realize it was the subway of burritos. But way better because Subway's kind of Way better. Subway's kind of Yeah. <laughs> I remember it's the last subway. time I went to a subway. Ooh, it's been a while. I think I had a gift yeah. card. So anyways, fish livers. Fish He's livers. Eating <laughs> He's eating them, and they're helping them survive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I believe I read that fish eyes have a ton of nutrients in them. Mm-hmm. So that's why your body just craves them. Yeah. Yeah, like I say, when that guy was telling his story, and I mean, he said he literally stuck his... The first thing he did with the fish was he stuck his mouth right around their eye and sucked their eye right into his mouth. It was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Right? <laughs> but at that point, you would you would be automatic. You would just be doing it, not even thinking about it at that point. I believe on an episode of Alone, the guy was talking to the camera. He's like, see these? These are the fish eyes. To me, they're like candy because, oh, they're just so good. And I was just thinking to myself, hmm... Maybe if you're starving. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it's if you're starving. Yeah, because mm, they don't look very candy. If it candy was that or death, <sighs> Andy. Ugh, okay, you guys, you guys are too much for me. <laughs> At this I point, think, we're doing it to irritate you. <laughs> I think the reason that I like so many foods is because. Again, I am just for the first time in my life actually putting on some weight. But for my whole life, I could eat and eat and eat and eat and not gain weight. And I feel like it's because I was always on the verge of starving no matter how much I ate that I eat so many different foods. Because I'm like, I need these nutrients for some reason. (laughs) It has to be something like that. (laughs) I don't know. Because like... When I look at your your palates versus my palate, I'm like, I don't and my palate versus Shyla's palate, the kids palate. You know, the only person who who comes close to me is my dad, my grandpa. <laughs> They're they've got the heavy palate. He does uh, as he's going through here. It's he makes it through winter. Winter's kind of boring. Not a lot happens. He almost uh, dies because he doesn't have enough nutrients. But then he starts eating livers and eyes. And then he uh, he basically just kind of waits for winter to end. And once it does, he starts finding his plants that he needs. I did like the descriptions of the winter because it did remind me of being home. And after an ice storm, you could go outside and you could just hear dead branches falling. And it's it's a cool sound. And it's it, oh yeah, and trees were blowing up because of the yeah. Of the that's ice. a thing that happens. It's cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I want to look up video of that. I don't know if I've ever seen it around here in like the Bay City area, but I know when I lived down in Howell, and I'm sure you saw it out in Huron County, Josh. Mm-hmm. When when that would actually happen, where the trees and everything would be covered in like an inch thick sheet of ice. And everything was weighed down. Yeah, it, looks, it was. It looks cool. It's so cool looking. It's wild. I know we. 
obviously didn't go to school one day. I, I clearly remember leaving the house to go to school one day. My mom's like, school, they haven't called it off. And we start walking down the road and the road was a skating rink. Like it was solid ice. And we're looking at the trees and yeah, it's just like an inch thick ice on all the branches. Every, everything was ice. It was wild. I've never seen it before that time. And I saw it a couple times while I was down there, but again, I don't, I cannot remember if I've ever seen it here in the Bay City area. Apparently, very cold weather explodes trees because it freezes the sap, which contains water, and expands the uh, the tree itself. Mm-hmm. Mm. So that's neat. Yeah, it is pretty. So cool. it's kind of like, kind of like if you put a pop can inside the fridge, or a six pack of beer in the trunk of your car. <laughs> left out in sub-zero temperatures. <laughs> sounds like a sounds in like a, a uh, experience. <laughs> sounds like a, Michigan sounds like thing. a very specific uh, <laughs> specific example. Yeah. I remember it uh, pretty clearly. It was actually um, beer that I had had at my bachelor party. I just left it uh, uh, in my trunk for a couple days and. Uh, like, uh, we, we had gotten married in January, so it was pretty cold, but that beer was out there in the trunk of my car and I came out to find it it had exploded at some point, which was really fun. My trunk smelled like beer for a long time. Is that when people started writing ho on your car? I was going to say, did you write ho on the (laughs) trunk so that people would stay out of it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, I mean that was uh that was at the beginning of my marriage and the hoe was close to the end of my marriage so though I think unrelated cuz I weren't no hoe for sure. <laughs> <laughs> What's that from? Is that a reference? Uh, that's 40-year-old virgin. Yeah, oh, okay. she was a hoe. For sure. No, <laughs> I've yeah. seen that all the way through. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Again, I'm not a it's huge fan okay. of him. So, in large doses. In my side of the mountain, uh, the... (laughs) Back to the reason we're here. Yeah, back to the the book again. (laughs) I think we can start just kind of moving towards the end of it here. Uh, (laughs) He decides to survive the winter, and he does. The end. Yep. Well, at the end of... Near the end of winter, when it's still pretty cold out, he's walking around one day, and he finds a guy walking through the woods, and the guy's freezing cold, and... He walks up and the kid starts asking him if he's seen this wild boy. And he's like, no, he's, oh, yeah, no, he lives in a cave over there. This and that, yada, yada. He wears a coonskin hat and all this. And the guy, he roasts the guy a rabbit that Frightful catches and the guy eats it. And when they're getting ready, he walks him back to town. And just as the guy goes to leave, he says, so let me get this straight. Uh, the wild boy does live in the woods. He has not given the location where he lives, but he wears a smart deerskin suit. And he basically he describes Sam Gribbley because he's like, clearly you're the fucking wild boy, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, I didn't man. buy any of that shit. I didn't buy a single thing you said. So you're he tells a terrible him, liar, Sam Gribbley. You're wearing yep. deer skin. Literally. Yeah, nobody else. <laughs> you had a falcon catch a rabbit, and then you started a fire with flint and steel and cooked it expertly. <laughs> you have an ex- encyclopedic knowledge of every nut and animal and herb and mushroom in this area. <laughs> you are either living out here or you're obsessed with nature. That's one of the, one or the other. <laughs> So 
basically the guy says that he's going to write the story and Sam doesn't want him to, but he says if he writes it a certain way, it'll be all right. And the guy agrees to it, but he wants to come back and stay for for a while soon after. And he's like, okay, yeah, that's fine. And he lets him. And, you know, Sam goes through this whole process of finishing things up and, and he's made it a whole year. He lived, lived right through the winter. And then, uh, his uh he starts hearing someone yelling for him one day and he isn't sure who it is and he goes down and he realizes it's his dad and his dad has brought his brothers and sisters and his mom and they are gonna build a house out in the woods and live up there with him because they and made I mean, mention basically- they made mention earlier in the book how the the griblies are sea people they they go to the sea um, yeah. they're, they're not for the land and he's like no i want to i want to prove them wrong i want to go to i want to go out and show them that i can do it and his yep. mom is like yeah so yeah your your dad and his family might be the sea but we we uh we like the land so that's where he gets his love for the woods and the land is from his mom not his dad yep yep he says uh he's kind of upset about the fact that they're there and he doesn't want to be there want them there necessarily and his mom basically says well you know what you can't do anything about it you're this is how it is till you're 18 because i'm here to take care of you and that's it (laughs) so we're living in the woods now i'm trying to do it on my own don't help me now this is a book that does have a sequel called on the far side of the mountain And it's something to consider for our sequel series that we eventually do. But let me say that I read the, they give you a little uh, snippet sample. Yeah, they give you a little sample of it. I did not like the sample of it. It it starts out with everybody, his family had gone back to live in New York City, except for his sister. So that whole like, that's how it is till you're 18, which is literally the last line of the book. Like, did she forget about the last (laughs) line of her book? Um, <laughs> the first line of the next book. Never mind. Never mind. Yeah. So uh, the the conflict, there is conflict right away. A DNR officer, a, a conservationist officer comes and he is going to take Frightful away because she's an endangered peregrine falcon and he is keeping her illegally. And mm. he like by the end of that little sample that they give you, he has taken Frightful and he's gone and Frightful's gone. And now Sam is left with what the fuck, you know, <laughs> that's more of the kind of story I'm used to. Right, right. Some kind of conflict. Mm hmm. Yeah, I wonder if it continues that way or if it goes back into the journal-esque style of writing. I guess we'll have to check it first. <laughs> and then the trees grabbed the conservation officer by the neck and choked him to death. And Frightful <laughs> flew back to me. Because <laughs> the nature nurtures me. <laughs> I realized I was going to have to kill the conservation officer. <laughs> I knew from reading books that if I put enough pressure on the carotid <laughs> artery <laughs> and held it there for blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I took three sticks and I whittled them hollow. I made a gun, a wooden bullet out of an acorn. <laughs> I do want to try acorn pancakes. I just want to see what they taste like. Yeah, it sounds mm. interesting. It did sound kind of interesting with the jam mm-hmm. that he had made. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because all the different foods he talks about are, are cool. I mean, I would I would try a lot most of what he made, including the mm-hmm. turtle soup. I'm game for trying like the wild the uh, wild potatoes. 
and mm-hmm. like with the wild garlic, I think that would probably taste super good with uh, rabbit. Oh, that would taste really good, actually. What about the tubers like from the what are they called? Cattails. I would try them. I think it's funny that in uh, Red Dead Redemption, when you eat the cattail, you eat the end that explodes, and so you throw it up, <laughs> but it turns right. out it's actually <laughs> edible. <laughs> yeah, one side of it is actually edible. Apparently, they never read My Side of the Mountain. Apparently not. <laughs> I mean, you can handle it if you're Sam Nature Boy Gribbly. Right. I did know that dandelion leaves are edible. That that's because they're salads. You can actually buy them now at premium. Fucking dandelions right. grow grow in everyone's yard hardcore every year. But you can go to the store and buy them for twice as much as lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> they're also a diuretic. So if you need to pee, have some uh, have some dandelions. That'll make you pee. Ooh, people pee. <laughs> Not in my side of the mountain. Not in my side Mm-mm. of the mountain. So yeah, I, I went over. I looked real quick to see what kind of conflicts he actually ran into. So I saw that he he was scared more than actually got hurt, but he got sprayed by a skunk. Oh, that's uh, right. Yep. The mm-hmm. Baron messed with him a bunch, so he'd fall over. Um, he would get <laughs> stuck in snow. He got stuck in a blizzard and had to hide out under a ledge for a while and then uh, dig through about a foot of snow to get out. And, uh, yeah, some birds were, would pester him. That's about it. (laughs) (laughs) He was kind of worried at one point that he'd, uh, get seen by a hunter and mistaken for a deer or something. That probably would have happened. He probably would have got shot in real life. Mm -hmm. For sure. Especially as he was stealing uh, their kills. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That, that part right there would have gotten him. That was how he got his deer. He, he didn't really trap them or kill them himself. He waited for a poacher to come along and kill a deer. Then he'd hide the body and (laughs) he got one with a deadfall. Waited out. He got one with a deadfall trap. Just one. Cause they, they heard that scream and he was excited because he wanted to go see it, but it was dark. So they had to wait. Ah, yeah, I think uh, the other deer that he got were yeah, he stole all the other uh, were ones. stolen kills. Kill stealer. I mean, the first one was poached, so I get it. But come on, man, during hunting season. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> during hunting season, that was kind of bullshit. <laughs> Should have just got some more fish. You didn't need it. <laughs> well, he was trying to make his uh, his wardrobe. Winter is coming. He did need those clothes. I mean, it is what it is. But at the same time, yeah. And his falconing glove and Jesse's and leash. It was a fun book. I mean, I would say, you know, if you're looking for a real easy read and you want to you want to feel like you're out in the woods and you're a master at surviving. <laughs> go ahead and read Just kind of low stakes danger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of low stakes danger. You're good, you know. <laughs> Most of the tension was he didn't want to rejoin society. He didn't want to get found and pulled back into uh, into his life in New York. He wanted to avoid people until he realized that he needed people. Mm-hmm. Like he got lonely and he eventually made the guest houses in neighboring trees because he realized that he missed community. He didn't miss it enough necessarily to be too excited when he found out his family was going to be staying, but he missed it enough that he wanted people to be able to visit. Right. Like one of his visitors like suggested making a guest house and he found himself saying, okay, and being okay with it. Yeah. Right off the bat. Yeah. And then started making guest houses and then his family came in mm-hmm. and he didn't have a choice. I find it kind of funny because on the last page, 
uh, his dad mentions about how he the his mom didn't like what the paper was saying about her. So basically, she went up to take care of him because uh, everyone was talking shit about her being a bad mom. <laughs> when in fact, she was probably being a really good mom to those other kids <laughs> and letting him do his own thing. So, but yeah, she's just like, well, now I have to go and take care of you because all these people are, are saying stuff and I don't want to be known as a bad parent. So, I mean, if anything, his dad was the bad parent, yeah. leaving her alone for weeks at a time with eight kids. Right. <laughs> it's like, I'm around. I'm going to get you pregnant. Back to sea. <laughs> yeah. I got I to go back to sea. Yeah, you know, and I mean, that is that is funny, too. Like, So, just because people are talking shit about you, you want to go help your kid. But all this time when he's been gone, you weren't like, we need to find him. Uh, I know he went up to the Gribbly farm. We could tell the police that he's up there. They could search the woods for him. We will force yeah. him back home. Nope. He he wasn't communicating with his family to let them know that he was okay. Right. He just, they just had to believe that he was. Yep. Uh, you know, Sam, he's always reading them books. <laughs> he knows what he's doing. He's 12. <laughs> he's a man now. You're right. It's 1959. <laughs> Get yeah. with the times. I think his dad was like, yeah, tell somebody in town you're there. That way we know you're fine. Or, but he just doesn't. <laughs> I guess he does the library. Right. Yeah, Miss Turner <laughs> knows he's up there, but even she he makes appearances see him for from months time at a time. time. Right. I think he went to a store once and uh, had, a, had a talk with uh, another kid his age wearing a leather jacket. Oh, yeah, that's right. He did. And that kid ended up, uh, that kid actually hung out with him in the woods between the reporter that talked to him and his parents coming. <laughs> yeah, they just did kid stuff. Like Yeah, they that, started that just was, doing kid stuff. I think that's when Sam actually started feeling the, the, the lack of camaraderie, I guess, would be the best word. Because, yeah, when Bando was there, it was cool, but he's an adult. And when your dad's there, you know, that's family. But this is a guy his own age. And right. he's like, hey, I'm doing this. Check out my cool jacket and all this. You know, I'm doing all these things. What are you doing? Oh, you're living in the woods. Cool. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> all right, cool. I'm going to go drive my car. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. No, I'd be interested to see if she actually leaves him living in the woods on far side of the mountain. Uh, I, then again, though, I mean, like after this one, I'm afraid to pick that one up to read it because... I mean, overall, there isn't a lot to talk about in this book. It, with all these other books that we've been reading, now, now the Goosebumps, it was fun because it was scary. It was a scary book and it had this great stuff happening. But those mm -hmm. other, so many of these other books have been like, wow, there's so much going on. And can you believe they were talking like this? And can you think about this? And we were like, wow, man, we don't know that. <laughs> Holy shit, what are we getting ourselves <laughs> into? But the truth <laughs> of the matter is, we thought it was filler. You know, <laughs> turns out it wasn't because <laughs> this book was good to read, but there's not a lot to talk about with it. Mm -hmm. Of all the survival tales that uh, that are out there, uh, this one is pretty low on the difficulty scale. Mm -hmm. Now, I know we're going to I believe we have Hatchet on our list, and that is definitely much more a survival tale. From what oh, I yeah. remember, like he he a plane crash lands in, in the uh, Arctic, basically, and he has to survive. So I'd be mm -hmm. interested in that. That sounds good. We, we also have Lord that? of the Flies on no. our list. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Lord of the Flies. I know that one has some uh, conflict in it. What? Oh, yeah. Lord of the Flies? Nah. (laughs) (laughs) Piggy. (laughs) I guess, I mean, do we have anything else to talk about with this book, guys? Um, as far as I'm concerned, I, I still enjoyed reading it. It makes me want to go camping uh, and try to do some of these things. I'm actually interested in like trying to learn about some of these different wild tubers. And uh, just the, the, the interest is back for me wanting to learn about nature and things like that. And this book, it inspired me when I was younger and it inspired me now because, again, I want to go this summer. I want to go camping. I don't know how realistic that's going to be, but... Uh, I, I would love to do that. Just based on reading this, I'm just like, man, I love I love getting out in nature. And again, I did just move. I moved from Sacramento to Chico, which is a lot smaller area. And Chico actually has two giant parks. There's Upper Bidwell and Lower Bidwell, and they're perfect for hiking. So I'm excited because I'm going to be doing a lot more hiking as well. And that's out in nature. So even if I'm not living out there, I'm going to be getting out there more. So maybe I can learn about some California tubers and see if I can find anything. <laughs> you going to gather some nuts and berries? We do have acorns around here. Make, a, make, make, make a paste acorns. and mix some pancakes. Well, I go. I cheated and I binged it. And yeah, you can just buy acorn flour. So I might just buy acorn flour. <laughs> <laughs> buy acorn flour. Find wild marshmallows. Make s'mores. <laughs> yes, wild marshmallows. <laughs> maybe some... Naturally occurring chocolate bars. <laughs> you just scrape the chocolate bark off. Yeah, of- <laughs> the chocolate bark off the hemlock tree. <laughs> well, I know not to go. Yeah, let's uh, let's go camping in Willy Wonka's chocolate room. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of cacao beans there. <laughs> cacao. So yeah, I would I would definitely recommend reading it. It's fun. It's not a typical story, but it is it is enjoyable. It's not a edge of your seat thriller by any means of no. a of a survival tale, but uh, it will inspire some to want to run away from home and try to make it on your own. Yeah, which based on this, uh, I probably wouldn't recommend because <laughs> a lot of the difficulty factor and considerations were removed in the <laughs> telling of the <this> story. <laughs> yeah, no, Sam Gribbley had the God mode code on he was <laughs> he's, just, he's got cheat codes <laughs> yep <laughs> i read that when she submitted this book initially it was rejected because they were afraid of children running away from home but then the main i think it was the main editor was at home was at his of course his vacation house and was went for a walk out in the woods and then he realized what the story actually was about. And so then he, right. it wasn't about a kid running away. It was about a, a child wanting to reconvene with nature. So that's why they allowed right. it. Right. Positives in um, appreciation of nature, uh, negatives in making surviving in nature seem way too easy. Way too easy. <laughs> Agree. Which is probably why a bunch of kids thought that they could do it as a result of this book. Right. Because I know Sam, I did. I did. Sam Nature Boy Gribbly made it look easy. Yep. So I'm actually excited about talking about what we have coming up next, guys. I decided to take on the role of narrator for Ooh. the next Choose Your Own Adventure book. And we will be reading The Magic of the Unicorn. <laughs> Oh, yay! I'm so excited. Yes. (laughs) 
after having listened to Josh come up with uh, so many great voices, I was like, I want to come up with voices. So I've actually been practicing and we'll be ready for this book. There are 27 awesome. different endings. It is uh, as per our as per this chapter, it is written by a lady and her name is Deborah Lerm Goodman. And it is the magic of the unicorn has a cool tree chasing a girl riding a unicorn with a dragon shooting fire at her on the cover. So I'm pretty sure there's going to be ninjas in this one. (laughs) So hype. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But where are the issues to tackle? Like, is we, the unicorn see, a racist Nazi? We is don't the- need to tackle issues in a choose-your-own-adventure, okay? <laughs> I just feel so empty. I, I do too, man. We didn't no. get to, like, we didn't get to tread on eggshells at all this episode. <laughs> I know. like We, like Sam Gribbley, had it too easy here. Yes, we did. It was way too easy <laughs> at us. <laughs> Oh, it's just funny to me when we were doing Maniac McGee and we ended up doing three episodes. One of the discussions we were consistently having behind the scenes was when we do my side of the mountain, man, it's going to be like a seven episode. Yeah, because we both Fair. remember being this long book and mm-hmm. being so into it. And then I, we read it and we're like, this is not what I remember at all. <laughs> yeah, this is There's not, not the much to I talk remember. about here. No. He decides to do this and he does that and then he decides to do another thing and he does it. Yeah, he just does it. So <laughs> dust your hands off and survive yeah, the winter. Tomorrow I'm gonna make some shoes out of squirrels. I'm just gonna do it. Just gonna do deal. it. They're the <laughs> most sure comfy to- shoes I ever done worn. Yep. Make sure to leave the tails on. That's like a nature nature's shoe horn. Yeah, use the squirrel tail. Squirrel tail. This is nature's shoe horn. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a piece of listener mail to read for this episode. Ooh, we do. Yes, we got an email from Nyla who says, "Hi guys, love the podcast." I remember loving Island of the Blue Dolphins by Scott O'Dell. You might find it interesting. Keep up the fun times, Nyla. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Nyla, for that wonderful email. Absolutely. Thanks for the recommendation. I think, if I'm not mistaken, I read Island of the Blue Dolphins in school. I want to say it was like a girl on a, uh, like stranded on an island, like another a survival tale. Okay. Maybe. I think it's, I think it's the one with the abalone where I learned what abalone is, but is that I, like I don't know. I have to, one baloney rather bring it. than multiple baloney? <laughs> like, is that, abalone. yeah, is that when you make a sandwich and you only have one slice of baloney on it? It's like a, like a sea urchin, I think it is, but let me oh. bing it. Oh, bing it, yeah. Oh, I binged it. It's about a 12-year-old girl who gets stranded alone for years on an island off of the California coast. Oh, interesting. Oh, so it's yeah. my side of the island. I'd be willing to check it out. Well, we have that. We have Hatchet. Are there any other crazy kid survival stories? Man. Because we could do a chapter <laughs> we on that. Saved, we could have saved my side of the mountain for a whole chapter of the podcast on survival <laughs> tales. <laughs> we got Hatchet. We got Island of the Blue Dolphins. We've got uh, I, again, Lord I of the Flies. Oh, yeah. Lord of the Flies. Yeah. Um, we can totally do a survival chapter. <laughs> I think I'd be kind of burned out by survival, to be honest. And They're... they would all probably start running together yeah, in my would. brain. Yeah, maybe we'll just mm-hmm. do, we'll sparse them out. <laughs> so, yeah, so we're not going to do a, a segment on, or a section on survival. But Island of the Blue Dolphins is definitely a strong candidate for one that we will address soon. So, yes. thanks for the suggestion, Nyla. 
and everyone else, do the same. Send us your suggestions. That way we can have a listener request month. Oh, yeah. Listener request. Yeah, if we, a good chapter as we well. get a bunch of listener requests. Yeah, we're looking for uh, current theme, like themes to uh, to apply to our chapters in the future. And we've got ideas for what our next uh, chapter is going to be. But uh, yeah, if we get enough suggestions, we could do a uh, fan favorites chapter. Yep. Because this based on suggestions. This chapter is actually going to be coming to a close after the Choose Your Own Adventure next week. Uh, we will have our reliterated, reiterated episode and look back at uh, everything that we went over for this chapter. And then we'll be moving on to the next one. Yep. We're in our chapter on female authors now. And we will uh, discuss that in our in our talk episode. And we'll move on after that. Yep. So, yeah. Send us your suggestions. You can send those to reliterated at gmail.com. Also send us your uh your undying love, your praise, your your compliments, because we are <laughs> we are susceptible to flattery. Absolutely. Basically, <laughs> reliterated on just about any social media is going to get a hold of us because we were so cool. We're the only people that ever came up with that name. It's true. We'll even have a website at some point. I already have the domain saved. We own the domain. We are staking our claim. Yep. <laughs> awesome. And Josh and I are single men, and you can also flirt with us if you want to, ladies. Hey, now. <laughs> the ladies did not come here to be accosted by the hosts, fellas. <laughs> I am simply I didn't say giving... <laughs> yeah. You're I am not by accosting anybody. You're, so, you're I... guilty by association. <laughs> Again, I'm moving, so... <laughs> this is addressed to no one in particular. <laughs> Just throwing that out to the winds because that's all I have. Ladies, Andy needs a date. Are you, are you vaccinated? I am vaccinated. Ladies, yes. he's vaccinated. <laughs> oh my God, I'm looking at the podcast statistics right now. We're actually losing downloads from episodes that I've already been wa- listened to. Andy, <laughs> <Under> no! <laughs> well, it's. Back to depression for me. I wish we had a reed whistle right now. Right, a birch whistle. What, a birch what kind whistle, of tree was whatever, it made yeah. out? Was it a birch whistle? Birch reed whistle, whatever it was. <laughs> the way it's uh, it's uh, made it sound is like a slide whistle almost. Yeah, that's <laughs> or a recorder. I thought of the recorder. Maybe that was the mm. second thing that he built because there were more pipes rather than. Hmm. And the way that he showed how the mouthpieces were, it, w- it looked more like a recorder. But yeah. Oh, okay. That's going to do it for us this week. Thanks for listening to Reliterated. We are the Chocolate Milk Friends. If you enjoyed this show, please share it far and wide. Subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Podcast Addict, Podbean, Google Podcasts, or any podcatcher app that pulls from these sources. And we'd really appreciate your review and rating on whatever platform you use. Apple Podcasts helps us a lot, as does Spotify ratings. You know, just anywhere you can give us five stars, we'd appreciate all the stars you have to spare. So until. <laughs> Sorry, I, th- I thought you were at your point where I say thank you for listening. <laughs> I was at the point where I had to take a breath. Okay. <laughs> Quit breathing. Give a shit, read some lit. <laughs> Thanks for listening. 
Thanks, everybody. Harold, you took Josh's thanks. I think he, I would, like he didn't know what to do. <laughs> I say thank you. Well, come up with your own thing, dick. <laughs>